Nick, 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 From Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Hector Navarro. I'm so excited because today my guest is the creator of a show that so many of you listeners demanded that we talk to because you've grown up with this particular show and it has stayed with you. Hey Arnold first appeared in 1996 and it gave us a show that was fresh and emotional and timeless. I have so many questions and who knows, we might be able to get an exclusive on the new Hey Arnold the Jungle movie, which is premiering next year. So guys, don't worry, we were already always planning on talking to Craig Bartlett. We're going to talk about some Hey Arnold today. We're going to talk yeah. about lots of nice cartoons. We've had our coffee and we're going to mm-hmm. make a little music. Mm-hmm. Craig Bartlett in the studio, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's make some magic, baby. Here we go. <laughs> it's fun to play around. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming in and doing this, Craig. This is so cool. Why do you think that the show Hey Arnold has stayed with people? especially young people, as they grew up. It's cool when you when you meet, I call, let's call them the super fans, the people who are from 20 to 30 or something like that, who grew up on the show and it was their favorite show when they were a kid, and now they're a, a working adult. We wrote the show, Arnold was nine. He was in fourth grade and he was nine. So I always think of like the nine-year-olds watching it, you know, yeah. kind of the sweet spot. There they are. They're not the youngest kid in school. They're not the oldest kid. They're just like the kids right in the middle being kids. And that was Nickelodeon. In the 90s, Nickelodeon was like, kids first, you know, kids rule. Those were the kind of things that we were saying. Yeah. My take on Hey Arnold, I'd been with Nickelodeon, you know, Mm -hmm. since about 1990. And it was 94 when I made the pilot. So I'd had some time to think about it. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, I'm going to make a show about my take on childhood. What I remember about childhood was sort of, when you're a kid, you don't really have any power. You don't have money. You, You can't, you don't have the freedom to go do what you want. You're kind of in school and then you got to go home and do your homework. And so I was going to try to make a a show about that. Like what do kids, what do they feel like about childhood? And so it was really about kind of feelings. And I was a big fan of uh, Charlie Brown. Absolutely. You can see it. When I was a kid, the Charlie Brown Christmas special was the first animated Charlie Brown picture. It came out, I want to say in like 65, 66. I was perfect. I was like Charlie Brown age when that came out. <laughs> I was like, man, look at this. Because I'd, I'd been raised like any of these people you're going to interview. I'd been raised on Bugs Bunny and sure. the Looney Tunes and that kind of slam pow, you know, funny, wacky, physical stuff. And Charlie Brown was like, no. Charlie Brown was like long, sad walks in the snow <laughs> <laughs> to like uh, blue jazz music. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is cool. This is about feelings. And it, th- that, that show starts, the Christmas special starts. Charlie Brown's talking to Linus. They're like at that like thinking wall. Yeah. They're like leaning on that wall in the snow. And Linus is like, what's wrong with you, Charlie Brown? He's like, I don't know. I'm depressed. Even as a little Charlie Brown age kid, I was like, man, this is revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. This is a cartoon about feeling bad. Yeah. And it's so beautiful, too. The music yeah. is gorgeous. If you look at it, it was considered at the time kind of radically minimal. You know, the animation was minimal. Yeah. But if you look at it, it's a very cool aesthetic. Absolutely. Absolutely. The big wide shots with tiny Charlie Brown walking in the snow totally influenced me. I was like, when I got to make Hey Arnold, I'm like, if Charlie Brown exists in this universe, I can make a show about uh, that's kind of melancholy and kind of blue and really touches on those feelings about childhood where you're powerless and you don't know what's going on. You're just trying to figure the world out. Herb Scannell and, and Jerry Laybourne were my bosses then at Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, it'll be a Charlie Brown for the 90s. It'll be, you know, an ensemble cast of kids, eccentric, funny kids. Arnold will be the Charlie Brown, but he'll be the super calm center. He's not the loser that Charlie Brown is. <laughs> He's like just this like Zen little Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll be surrounded by wacky, super active characters. And the typical Arnold story, if you watch the first season, it was Arnold accidentally does something that hurts someone else. Yeah. Like Eugene's bike. He wrecks Eugene's bike by accident. And then it's not his fault, mm -hmm. but he feels very bad about it and goes for like a long, sad Arnold walk and thinks about what he's going to do. And then he tries and tries. And usually in a funny way, he makes it better slightly. Yeah. And then at the end of the episode, we kind of undercut even that happy ending a little bit so that we can kind of return to the status quo. You know, we'll yeah. be, that's how TV works. You know, that's you're going how... <laughs> to finish a show and it's like, yeah, tomorrow Harold's going to want to beat you up again. When did you know this thing was going to be as big of a hit as it was? We never, when we were making it, we never knew it would be this. What we, yes. Us today in 2016, this is crazy. I never knew it was going to be this. I kind of want to even point that out. Yeah. When you read a piece that's going to talk about Hey Arnold now online, they'll talk about it like, well, obviously, Hey Arnold, one of the great 90s shows. <laughs> And I'll go, wow, thanks. But <laughs> when we were doing it, we were just making another show here. Sure. There were a lot of shows being made, and we were just one of them. And it was a little bit of a competition. You know, everybody, there's yeah. kind of a, like a bro vibe where, like, you know, <laughs> guys are like, yeah, well, our show is going to be better than yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff was always going on. Yeah. But I didn't have a sense that it would be this beloved. I really didn't. Wow. It's really, it's very sweet and, and gratifying to be here now. Carolyn Framke wrote for the AV Club. She was writing these pocket synopses of her favorite. She gave it a top 10. Like, hey, adult fans of Hey Arnold, here's a top 10 list of episodes that would be, that kind of prove that it holds up and you could watch it now and you would go, oh, even as an adult, I like this show. Sure. She said, she talks about the Thanksgiving special, that one of the themes of the series is disappointment. <laughs> and if I had to pitch that, they would have said, get out of here. <laughs> so that's what's funny about it. Like yeah. now, looking back... Not only do they kind of like see it all in this kind of wonderful glow of like everything is well made and good. Sure. But they also can talk openly about things like a theme of disappointment and not, I'm not like, you know, getting busted for that. Yeah. Now it's, now it's just canon, right? It sure. exists. Mm -hmm. Kids are cool. That, that's what's neat too is that when the kid's nine, they've got a favorite show. That's their world, man. They, yeah. They watch it. They can't wait to see the next one. They follow carefully. And, and their minds aren't like now at my age, you know, there's a million shows to watch. And yeah. there's, there's a million books to read and movies to go see and, and all kinds of interests. And so you don't have one shining favorite thing like, right. like when you're nine. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it, too, that the adults now look back and, the, and they particularly remember being solidly into Hey Arnold. In a way that now, you know, well, you got 10 shows I like to watch. Absolutely. And when you get stuff in your reptile brain when you're nine, it stays in your reptile <laughs> yeah, brain. It's, it's in right. there. It's there forever. Talk to us a little bit about what your sort of idea of going into art was going to be originally and then sort of how it changed. Yeah. So I'm a Seattle kid, and then I, my parents moved me when I was a teenager. We moved out into the country. I lived on the beach as a teenager. And um, I was in a small town that was like an arty town on the Puget Sound called La Conner. And La Conner had all these 
landscape painters that were, you know, a bunch of old hippies. <laughs> and that was kind of, that was the world I was in. And I had no idea about the cartoon making industry down here. First of all, it was quite different then. The old TV animation studios, Hanna-Barbera, Filmation and stuff, they were kind of dying. They yeah. were they were not making good shows. It was kind of the, the low point of cartoon making when yeah. I was coming of age, when I was going to art school and stuff. They were making uh, cartoons that were all based on toys and uh, they were not good. And they were just starting to get into the overseas, you know, shipping your animation away, but that hadn't even really caught on. But it was, you could call that the low point of TV animation, really. Sure. So I had no idea. No one told me. I didn't know anything about it. I went to a high school in a little small town in Washington, and then I went to college. I I went to the art school in Portland, the museum school, and uh, I was very happy. I got there. I was about, I'd probably turned 19 in my first year of uh, art school in Portland. And I was like, I finally found my tribe. Oh, my God. These yeah. people are more like me than the, you know, working class town in <laughs> of Anacortes where I went to high school in, in Washington, which was an ass-kicking town when I was a kid. It was fishermen <laughs> and loggers and me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was a total oddball. And I so I went to Portland and went to art school. I was like, hey, I found my people. And so I started, you know, studying painting and, and drawing and still didn't know about this business down here. So I guess it was in the four years of art school. In the third year, I went did a study abroad and went to Italy for most of the year from September to May. I was in Siena, Italy. Incredible. That's incredible. Hitchhiking around Italy and stuff and going and looking at old architecture. But when I got back from uh, travels and I couldn't like transfer those credits for some reason, I couldn't go straight into fourth year of art school. So I was like, fine, I'll do something else. So I worked for a while, and I ended up at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, which was really like a magnet for every creative weirdo in the Northwest because <laughs> it had no grades, and it had a lot of equipment and kind of laying around and no one telling you what to do. You could just basically write yourself a program and like, I'm going to make cartoons. And somewhere in there, I had been seeing these tournees of animation that came to Portland when I was going to the school there that were like feature-length collections of animated shorts by independent animators from around the world. I saw a couple years in a row of that, and those were awesome. They were funny. That's important. Mm -hmm. Because I was, like, not serious enough to be a serious, like, a sculptor or a painter. I felt like I just looked at how serious all that stuff was and kind of just sort of, I don't know, just kind of dry. And I was like, man, and, you know, I'm not going to be, like, an abstract painter. That's stupid. I wanted to do, like, representational art about something that was, like, told a story. And when I saw the animation, I was like, okay, this, this is weird and edgy and strange. And they had really weird uh, experimental soundtracks and cool, weird music. And I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can make animation and I'll try to tell my stories uh, through that medium. I remember a photographer in my town in Washington, kind of a mentor, <laughs> and he said, if you want to make art, you got to have something to say. Yeah. What do you have to say? And he was really like, I'm just looking at your stuff from school and I'm not seeing a point of view. So that really stuck with me. Look, you got to have something to say. So I spent another year or so trying to figure out what I did a bunch of comics. And it, it all kind of coalesced in that last year where I went to Evergreen in Olympia and uh, took some basic animation classes and started making my first animated films. And luckily, that was technically good enough to get my first animation job, which was for Will Vinton in Portland. Great. So you've got this job and you start doing stop motion animation. Is yeah. that right? Come on. That's awesome. <laughs> what a dream. Oh, what a dream. Best. So I start I worked for Will for most of the 80s. Yeah. And uh you know, I got a complete filmmaking apprenticeship there. Every aspect of filmmaking. We were shooting on 35 millimeter film with cool. with cameras that shot one frame at a time, building the sets, 
building the clay characters, sculpting, all this stuff. And we even got to learn how they put a film together, how we edited and stuff, because they were cutting the film on a flatbed editing table. And the editors would let you cut in your shot when it came back from the lab. They put it back up and it was out of sync. They were like, you can't do this. You, you yeah. had to do the exact number of frames and not get the film out of sync. So we built the film shot by shot. And you'd, you maybe would go off and work on a five-second shot for the whole week. Picture that. You know, yeah. you, get, you shoot a couple seconds a day. <laughs> and and uh, that was a dream. And the reason I left was Pee Wee. We'd come back to the studio on Monday and go, oh my God, did you see Pee Wee's Playhouse? <laughs> this happened and that happened. And it was, to us, it was just like a dream. It was like all these different kinds of weird indie animation yeah. in one half hour. You'd see the dinosaur family that lived in the mouse hole. <laughs> that was stop motion. Yeah. There was an ant farm made out of little tiny paper cutout ants that would spell out like, hey, Pee Wee. There, there was Penny. And uh, the king of cartoons would bring a 16-millimeter projector <laughs> and set it down and run like a 30s weirdo cartoon. So there was also like early retro animation, too, which was always about the funny, the funny and the weird. So I... I remember Will, my boss, saying, oh, Pee-wee, I can't stand that guy. It's like fingers on a blackboard. <laughs> and I, I was like, no, I have to leave here. Yeah. I was, it was clear to me that if I wanted to grow into whatever I was going to grow into, yeah. I had to get out of there. You got to go work for Pee-wee. So I put a reel together of my claymation, yeah. some commercial work and you know stuff I had done for Will. And uh, I sent it to Prudence Fenton, who was the, the producer of the animation, mm -hmm. and Stephen Johnson, who was the director on season one. And I, some, I got the addresses of those two people. Yeah. I don't know how I did it. And Prudence called me one night at my house in Portland. Phone rings. It's like on a May night. It's like, hi, it's Prudence Fenton. Uh, we're starting season two of Pee Wee in L.A. this in LA, time. In L.A., they moved they from, moved New, from York New York to, to L.A. LA yeah. So we need to crew up on a new crew. By the way, the original crew of Penny? Yeah. The Ardman guys from Bristol, England. Yes, of Those course. Guys, they're, they're the best clay animators in the world, the coolest, funniest clay animators in the world. They Absolutely. actually created Penny for Pee-wee. Wow. Pee-wee said, I think the show needs a girl character. Yeah. And they're like, how about a girl with pennies for eyes? And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, their technique, is it was revolutionary also. So cool. You know, the stand-up stop motion that we've been doing and th mm -hmm. that they do, if you look at you know the Wallace and Gromit cartoons, those are basically armatured characters that are standing up on a 3D set mm -hmm that you move around, you walk around. It's very hard, you know? Yeah. They're gravity-bound, and you're trying to not have them fall over and stuff. There's a lot you're dealing with. Yeah. Penny was shot on glass with yep. a down-shooter camera up above looking through the glass at a flat background that you would slide in and out, much like a puppet show. You have a proscenium, which is the frame, a puppet in the front doing the, their business while maybe you might have a background rolling in and out. So if you could think of a way to do like a puppet show, you could tell any kind of Penny story. So I went down to L.A. You know, it was like, as soon as I got the call, I'm like, yes, of yeah. course, I will now move to L.A. <laughs> Quit my job, and I did Penny all summer in mm -hmm. 87. So season two, I did uh, Tom Gasick and I were the two teams. And Tom was another guy from, from Vinton's and, and Bruce McKean. So three of us from Vinton's, like, we're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tom and I split an order of 10 episodes. So I did five, and he did five. Mm -hmm. And then the next year, I did a shorter season. Uh, so that was the total of my, you know, seasons two and three were the total of my, my Penny experience. But what can I say? That changed everything. That got me down here. That got it all going. Did it's, Arnold originate on one of the Penny? Sure. Isn't that, is that well, what it's Arnold funny. If you, if you look it up, it says that it, it was a Penny, it was something, a Penny character. But no, when I finished season two, 
I was unemployed again. And you just did an Arnold <laughs> and on short. my own. I was like, okay, look, you're in LA, you've moved here. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And while I was looking for work, I, I basically created my own character, Arnold, out of clay, and I built my own penny stand in my living room. <laughs> basically just replicated that same down shooter. I had a I had a camera and I had I had you know, put some lumber and I made, yeah. and I I built a penny stand. So I shot Arnold in the penny style, mm-hmm. but it was post my peewee is when you were penniless yeah i was penniless and i was penniless (laughs) (laughs) why the football shape head ah thanks that's a good question (laughs) when i was doing penny this was a very flat medium i called it two and a half d because (laughs) because it had dimension you lit it and you threw shadows across them and stuff they were lit 3d characters but they basically had kind of flat backs, and they were just like lying on the glass. And Arnold was started that way too as a claymation uh, character. And when we were doing our building, we would the clay is very interesting. It's called plasticine. It's an oil based uh, sculpting clay mm-hmm. that you can boil on a on a double boiler. You have a you know you know pot on, on top of a pot. It's got some water boiling under it. In a double boiler, you can melt it down to liquid. So it's very neat. And then you okay. pour it out on wax paper on a flat table. Let it cool, and then at room temperature, it's just right. After it's been liquefied like that, it's really nice to work with. You can also put it in the freezer and make it hard as a rock. So <laughs> it's a really cool technique. It's like, cool. you know, from hot to cold, you, you get it right where you want in the temperature to do your sculpting. Got it. And you also, you, the set lights aren't that hot. They're lower wattage than, like, movie sets because mm. of stop motion, you can take a long exposure. So you can, in a kind of a room temperature set, you can work on it. So I poured out you know, my sheets of, of clay, and then with a little knife, I would cut out shapes to start building the characters. I was just making shapes, cutting them out. And so that's why those kind of extreme shapes, you know, Gerald's got that sort of like cylinder, tall, yeah. and Arnold's got the football and yeah. so on. If you look at the characters, the earliest uh, designs were very geometric. And so I just thought it'd be really funny. I thought... What if he was like really kind of low to the ground, had a really wide head and like massive hair and his eyes were way out here. And I was kind of trying to be kind of radical when I designed Arnold. The, the weird asymmetry of him where like four points of hair on one side and five on the other and the hat's like a little off to the side. And right. that, that was all just part of me trying to make a distinctive design. Mm-hmm. Matt Groening, my brother-in-law, he told me early on, he said, an important thing about character design is to make them work even in silhouette. So if you were to see them in a, in the dark, you'd be like, oh, there's Arnold. Yeah. There's Gerald. <laughs> and I, I really took that to heart. And uh, and it, that really worked for my Charlie Brown scenario. Yes. You know, like, I'll make a scene. You'll have a huge cityscape, this kind of big kind of sunset in the city. And the, you kind of feel that urban vibe. And you'll see a little tiny Arnold and Gerald walking along. You're like, oh, there they are. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So that's the, the sort of radical design helps in that way. Hey, Gerald, do you think what the other kids are saying about me is true? I mean, do you really think I'm always going around butting into other people's business? You? Are you kidding? Of course not. I mean, that's crazy. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Gerald. Sorry, man. I mean, truth is, you are kind of a Badinsky. And that settles it. As of right now, I'm never giving advice to anyone ever again. You never give advice again. I'll believe it when I see it. At what point do you have an opportunity to go work at Nickelodeon? I'd moved to L.A., mm-hmm. and I, I was committed. I wanted to stay here. I was like, I could tell L.A. was where it was at. L.A. was this giant magnet where people from all over the world were coming mm-hmm. to make their cartoons. This was where 
things were changing. And things, you know, change was in the air. Nickelodeon in 1990 was turning this whole thing upside down. Jerry Laybourne was like, God, why don't we make some cartoons that are about something? Why don't we make something new that is more about what it is to be a kid? She had all the right ideas. And she empowered people to make those first shows, Ren and Stimpy, Rugrats, and Doug. And uh, I was there because Paul Germain, it, Rugrats was created by Arlene Klasky and Gabor Chupo and Paul Germain. Yeah. And it was because all three of them had one-year-olds in the house. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Arlene was like, what if there was a show about talking babies? That was the, that was the kernel. Brilliant. Paul Germain said, I know a guy, because he, he was, at the time, he had just come over from Gracie Films. He'd been working on the Simpson Minutes that were on Tracy Ullman's that's show. That's right. So he knew Matt, and that's how he knew me. And he's like, I know a guy. He's a sort of indie animation guy. You should meet him. So he brought me in to meet Gabor and Arlene. Yeah. And, and they said, would you like to be the story editor on Rugrats? <laughs> and I'm like, I've never written a script. You've never done that before. Yeah. It's crazy. If wow. you think about that, I've gotten some really cool breaks. That call to come down into Pee Wee. Yep. The Will Vinton giving me my first shot yep. animating for him in Portland. And this one, wow. uh, Gabor and Arlene going, do you want to be our story editor? When I had not written scripts. <laughs> I mean, if you if somebody today said, we got a new show going, would you like to be our story editor? I've never written scripts. They'd say, get out of yeah. here. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's a break that's beyond, beyond. I can't even. And yeah. when people say, I'd like to get a break like you, I go, good luck. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hit doesn't the, work I hit that the way jackpot. Totally. And uh, so, and the the real criteria was like, I had a one-year-old as well. My son Matthias was one, mm-hmm. same age as Tommy, Tommy Germain, who Tommy Pickles is named after. And so, yeah, we had, and Joanne Salabaher uh, was a writer on season one, and he had Jeannie. We, Tommy, Jeannie, and Matthias were the same age. And Arlene said, great, you, can you type and stuff? I'm like, <laughs> sure. And that was that. So that got me into Nickelodeon. It got me writing scripts. It kind of took me from stop motion and into the world of cell. I learned to storyboard that year. Wow. <laughs> I storyboard. I directed the last uh, episode 13, the uh, parts one and two were Graham Canyon. And it was great. Graham Canyon, I, I, I created Cynthia for that episode. Oh, because, my gosh. Because I said, they're going to be in the backseat of the car. Angelica's going to need someone to talk to. Wow. So I had her with this Cynthia doll, which was meant to be a Barbie that she'd like love to death. Like the hair was. <laughs> Before you say anything, I got to say, still to this day, I quote. If I'm upset at something, if I need a break, I still quote, take a nap, Cynthia. I'll just say that. Because I remember her throwing. She throws it down. She throws it down. She goes, take a nap, Cynthia, and throws it down into the bottom of the car. That's so funny. That's thank great. You. Hey, yeah, thanks no, for creating Cynthia. That's thank great. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was the, the whole the idea that the Rugrats cartoons would be like, okay, you're a baby. What misunderstanding can you have about the universe right. that leads to a funny, like, <laughs> idea that can kind of keep him busy for 11 minutes? Yeah. Same with Arnold, like, Pigeon Man. Um, I remember Joe Purdy, his first episode was Pigeon Man. He comes in, and, and I'm like, wow, what if at the end he flies away? Like, yeah. <laughs> he ties all the pigeons on and, like, harnesses them up and, like, Brr. and that was one of those, that's the tail wagging the dog. Like, okay, fine. That's where we're going. Right. What'll we write that's the other 10 minutes? Yeah. (laughs) Pigeon Man. Wait. None of this would have happened if I hadn't... Arnold, don't be sad. You've taught me that some people can be trusted. And I'll never forget that. Where will you go? Somewhere I can live in peace with my friends. I just hope there's another Arnold where I go next. Tell me about the pitch meeting. 
for Hey, oh, for Arnold. hey Arnold. Oh, for hey Arnold. Oh, a, I love was, this story. That was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember we got together. This would have been summer of 93. We all got together and just said, hey, let's, let's, let's create shows. Six of us. Yeah. Which is a stupid idea. <laughs> but we were like Robin Hood and his merry men. We were like, we're going to, the six of us will go pitch. Yeah. And we put together ideas for four or five show ideas. And we went to meet with Mary Harrington, who had just really gotten permanently set up here. The studio was out on Ventura, where they were doing Rocco. So now the fourth Nicktoon. And the mandate from New York was, Mary set up out in L.A., get a studio going. We're going to do our original content from L.A. because they were a New York-based company, or still are, right. a New York-based company. And they knew that the, the, the workforce was here in L.A. Yes. So Mary, you know, got it going, started doing Rocco. And then was taking pitches. The word went out. So all six of us pile into her office one day. And she put out a big fruit plate and, like, lunch. And we pitched our ideas. And the the typical uh, question from an executive when we pitched was like, well, who's going to be in charge, you guys? And yeah. they go, we all will. And yeah. they just go, oh, my God. I, <laughs> I got a headache. You know, I can't even... What? You know, come on, six of you, that's stupid. Yeah. And of course it was stupid, but you know, but we, we were like we were trying to be democratic. <laughs> and uh so we pitched our ideas and nothing. Mary's like, meh. Nothing. And we're sitting there picking at our fruit plate and kind of feeling bad and and someone said, Craig, show her your penny cartoons. So, apropos of I don't even know what. She's just kinda of like, what else have you got? We got you know, what else is in that bag? <laughs> and so I got out a tape, a VHS cassette of my sample reel with Penny. Yeah. And it had on the front of it the little claymation Arnold shorts. And she goes, wait, who's this? And she watched, you know, Arnold escapes from church. And, and she said, what have you got more of this guy? And I had my comics. I had the Simpsons Illustrated magazines that had like a Sunday Funnies a formatted, uh, you know, eight panel uh, Arnold adventure. And she loved those. And one of them, Arnold rides a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And you see him. Super deadpan. The original Arnold was very, like, eyes half-lidded, super zen. Very cool. And he rides this terrifying roller coaster, and everyone's screaming, and he's just, like, deadpan. You see all seven first panels of that. Then you see him walk home, and you see his house at night and the moon, and, and then he, he sits up in bed and screams. Yeah. <laughs> and that drawing of him screaming, she's like, this is funny. Let's, you know, let's talk about this. And so when the meeting broke up and we all headed out, she she kind of like cornered me in the hall and said, "Come back and let's talk about this Arnold guy." Yeah. And Paul Germain was like, "We went to lunch. We went and got pizza after that." Yeah. And Paul said, "Mark my words, this is going to be a show." Yep. You just sold and the show. And he he was right. The pitch was Arnold lives in a boarding house with his grandparents and these eccentric boarders under a freeway overpass, and it'll be urban. It'll be the city, and that's how it started. So many cartoons feature suburbs and they feature sort of different yeah. uh, locations. And I think that uh, a lot of city kids loved Hey Arnold for that reason. Where did that idea come from? Isn't that great? Yeah. I love that because I agree. I feel like the kind of like insta suburb of cartoons is, yeah. is like, it's not very imaginative. It's like, really? You know, you're just going to show like a, a kind of a, it's like it's making fun of sitcoms. Definitely. But, but that just sort of like continues a, a sort of a boring thing to me and mm-hmm. i wanted to be really site specific and when i was coming of age and not when i was a child when i was a child it was pretty suburban in seattle mm-hmm. it wasn't that urban but when i was coming of age and a teenager and starting to get ready to go to art school and then i lived in portland so my transition as a teenager in seattle 
And then moving to Portland was, I was kind of walking around with a camera, taking pictures of weird old buildings. Yeah. That was my thing. And uh, Portland has a neighborhood of Victorian row houses with a freeway a bridge over it where the Fremont Bridge comes down into Northwest Portland. Wow. That was like, I, th- I thought, I remember looking at that going, what a cool setting for a show. I yeah. mean, just like, what if there was a kid that lived in like an attic in, in one of those Victorians under this freeway? And it's great. It implies so much. It, it, it kind of suggests that their neighborhood is forgotten, kind yes. of passed over, literally overpassed. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, like something more modern is somewhere else and everyone's going there. And this little forgotten neighborhood sits under the freeway. And the other thing about that too, because, you know, I've been studying art and trying to be a painter. And so I was very interested in... in setting and i'm a big fan of architecture i thought you know this is so cool because it's beautiful photography is like you you photograph something ugly and you frame it and you make it beautiful (laughs) and so the urban grunge of arnold's neighborhood was meant to be arnold is a a, he's aesthetically he's like he is this little zen kid and he sees everything for what's beautiful about it even though it's never said he never goes he never tells the other kids Look at this. It seems ugly to you, but it's beautiful to me. Yeah. You just get that. Yeah. And um, so I, I tried to make his setting very urban and kind of decayed and, and funky and grungy. And I, I went around Seattle and Tacoma and shot a bunch of pictures. Yeah. And, and made like a little booklet of them for the artist for season one and said, That's cool. here's some classic Pacific Northwest grunge. Mm-hmm. This is our aesthetic. Look at these. Look at the details of these fire escapes and these rooftops and these windows from you know 100 years ago let's make arnold's world look like this and then let's light it in this really romantic like sunset and dark because that's that's when it's at its most beautiful yeah and uh the kids that idea that worked really well with my whole uh, take on childhood like what kind of cartoon would a kid want to watch how about that they all meet, they climb out of their fire escapes and they all meet on the street at night and they go have adventures unsupervised and adults yeah. don't even know what they're doing, which isn't true. Like, yeah. real life isn't like that, but it's aspirational. Kids yeah. will go, oh, I'd love to live like that. Sorry about today, Gerald. I know my house isn't exactly normal. Oh, are you kidding, Arnold? You get to hit people up for rent money? You get to bust up fights? Man, your house kicked. Yeah, you know, you're right. Good night, Gerald. What did the idea to have the sort of soundtrack and the sound in, that is inhabiting the world of Arnold be that sort of bluesy sound? Did that come from Charlie Brown? Did that come from your sort of influences? It's funny because, it, yes, it comes from Charlie Brown. I'm yeah. a big fan of that Vince Guaraldi soundtrack that accompanies the Christmas show. I play that every Christmas. It's like, it's December. I pop that on. Yeah. But also what you were saying, too, like I thought, okay, let's make this more what a modern American kid is experiencing. Charlie yes. Brown is even pretty suburban, and you don't, they, you don't get into the architecture at all. They're yeah. either walking on a really minimal, like, grassy field, or they're in a minimal house. And so the setting is, is again, very generic. And I thought, let's be really site-specific and make it urban because because it's what it's like so many kids are living in cities. And if you look at the modern city, the city by the 90s, the modern city was a super cool, like, gumbo of every ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And back when he made, what was it? Wero, Wero, Wero. Yeah, yeah, okay. I thought that was, I forget when that album came out. It was later, but mm-hmm. I was listening to Beck when we were making, I think uh, Loser was probably the probably the album when we were starting Hey Arnold. Yeah. 
And I thought, this crystallizes it. This is, he's taking those urban sounds and he's just like a LA kid and he's he's taken these these kind of like hip hop beats and you can feel all the cultures coming together and mm-hmm. the point being you're in the parking lot of a 711 in LA and a guy drives by and he's playing one kind of music and then some other culture you hear some other sound and it's all kind of blending and that's I really think that's where the best 90s music was coming from it was like it, you just can't help it you're just yeah. being surrounded by all these influences and I talked to Jim Lang about that. I said, look, we, we love jazz. Mm-hmm. I was really listening to a lot of Miles Davis then. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, we love jazz. Arnold is going to be jazzy, but it won't be Vince Guaraldi jazz, which was piano, bass, drums. And let's come up with an, a new jazz sound. And he had me listen to a lot of acid jazz, which was uh, traditional jazz instruments like sax and stuff over manufactured hip-hop beats. Cool. And Lang loved that. He he loved to make uh, he, the beats he made for season one. They're unbelievably cool. It totally holds up, too. You can listen to it now. It's yep. not dated at all. Yep. And he loved to build these from sa- noise. He would make all kinds of sounds that were just from noise. And that's still his thing. He can do that just like a sweep, he can do that. And so that was it. We had a really more gritty, more grungy, funkier sound than than Charlie Brown, and we had the urban setting. Yeah. And so it wasn't like people looked at it and said, well, they're just ripping off peanuts. It was more like, hey, I, I just want to make my own. I, I agree with Charles Schultz. I'm yeah. about childhood, and I want to make a show that's my own take on that. Helga Pataki. Where did the idea of her having this crush on Arnold come from? Because it's so brilliant. It's so smart. Yeah, thank you. Helga Helga took over the show. She hijacked the whole freaking show. <laughs> and Helga, when I pitched the show, I said, look, she hates him, but she secretly loves him. That'll mm-hmm. be fun. Any kid can relate to that. But even more importantly, because I was trying to answer that question of who is Arnold? And I'm like, yeah. come on. And I was like, well, he's kind of weird and cool and like weird. I don't know. You know, we're like, no, no, it, it's good weird. You'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, how? How are kids going to like this guy? I said, listen, Helga will tell us. She yes. will get out that locket and monologue about him and she'll say how awesome he is over and over and kids will buy it. They'll go, Helga loves him. He must be he must be great. Yeah. And so it worked. Helga tells us. That's her role. Also, we said, okay, so she's this mean bully and she's kind of the boss of the fourth grade and she can mm-hmm. just pound anyone. Like, why is she so mean? So then it was like, let's give her a really messed up family. So let's great. have a, a big sister who's little Miss Sunshine that everybody adores and gets straight A's and that'll like Helga will forever be in Olga's shadow and let's have Miriam be kind of like Olga but now a grown up and kind of broken she's like yeah. Bob such a blowhard kind of riding over everybody and, and yelling all the time that Miriam has shut down and she'll yeah. be like the secret alcoholic and and uh, and you know asleep at the wheel and and so she's ignoring Helga too mm-hmm. and Big Bob is you know he's a huge egomaniacal loud you know salesman and so you get, oh, Helga learned how to be tough and loud and bossy from her dad. And he doesn't love her enough either. The two parents and Olga are kind of narcissists who aren't paying attention to her. It's season after season of this. And she's creative. She's talented. She's poetic. Yeah. She is a natural leader. But she's got this fatal flaw of forever shooting off her mouth and, and being mean to people. And so 
It's like karma, too. Like, from the very first episodes, Arnold's hat, you know, she steals the hat, and then, you know, she gets in all this trouble. She'll act out, say what everyone would say if they were if they were that intense. Yeah. And then she'll get kind of punished for it, and we'll get a good laugh out of her karma paying her back for being mean. Yeah. So she clear, she just, like, emerged as this leading character. Also, you can't give enough credit to Francesca Smith, who— Great. Nine-year-old genius who came in to read for her. And I remember sitting in the booth like this, you know, on one side of the glass, and I had the the little, you know, script side for Helga in front of me, and I was looking down at it, and this girl starts doing it, just like yelling and just like tearing it up. And I looked through the glass like, who's that? This teeny kid. (laughs) Like, you come up to your knee. And she had really long hair, and she used to wear these kind of like Laura Ashley, like long dresses, and just look like a little doll. You're like, what? You know, she was like, you know, completely like ferocious. Yeah. Uh, instantly terrifying was the uh, <laughs> was the term. Oh, oh, my beloved, what havoc have I wrought, tampering with the laws of nature? I must right this terrible and grievous wrong and restore to you that which makes you the Arnold I worship and adore. I must retrieve your precious hat and restore it to your most hallowed brow. Out of my way, fat boy! Hey Arnold, the Jungle Movie. Yeah. Uh, we know that it's coming. Yeah. We know that we're going to see it next year. We're in production, folks. Oh. We're, we're recording it. We're cutting the tracks. We're drawing it. We're going. We're what? making the movie. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. <laughs> what can you tell fans of the show about this project that they've been waiting for? Well, it's so funny because for the longest time, they just when I would post stuff about it that was kind of teasing it, they just wanted details. Yeah. And I, I get that. Of course you want to know. But we can't we can't do real spoilers because then you wouldn't enjoy it as much when you see it. it the plan is we're going to come out with it around Thanksgiving 2017. So we're mm-hmm. about a year and a half out, which is great because we need all that time to make this thing. It's been a blast. I can't believe how fun it's been to bring back so many of the cast. Most of the adults have returned. 2001 was when we last recorded, so yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. And in that time, some people aren't even with us anymore. So yeah. we've we've had to d- replace some people. Uh, the boys' uh, voices broke, yeah. And so I seriously could not bring back Arnold or, and Gerald, but uh, and and many of the other boys. What's cool about that is we're bringing those characters, those guys, those actors back to play uh, like some of the some of the characters in the movie. And so I love that. I love I love things coming full circle. There's a lot of it's a very meta uh, script where we check a bunch of boxes, man. I'll yeah. just say in in movie one, that's two hour long movie, so it's two hours. As everyone knows, uh, the series ended in a cliffhanger mm-hmm. on purpose, which I <laughs> regretted for about a decade because I was really trying to make that jungle movie. It was in development over at Paramount with Nickelodeon and Paramount. And yeah. the Arnold Saves the Neighborhood story, which started as a TV movie and became Hey Arnold the Movie, right. was released in the summer of 2002. Did not make enough money in its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Was just completely clobbered by much bigger movies that came out that same weekend, and that was the end of the series. And yeah. I said, "Wait a minute, you guys! We, we made the journal. The last uh, episode of Hey Arnold was the hour-long journal, which was intended from the get-go to be a prequel that set up the Jungle movie mm-hmm. and leaves in a giant cliffhanger in which Arnold finds his dad's handwritten map, and so." You know Arnold now is armed with his dad's map and and is supposed to go find his lost parents. Yeah, I'm getting chills right now. I'm getting chills, Craig. And I... I, you know, I in a kind of, I really felt irresponsible when when the whole thing got canceled. I thought, oh, my God, I 
I was going to, I purposefully put that scene in where he finds the map and we end on a cliffhanger yeah. and Jim's music goes, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Like it ends on like a suspended note <laughs> <laughs> on purpose. Like, yeah. okay, you got to make the jungle movie. Sure. And they said, no, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, your, your first movie didn't make enough money, And bro. then you looked and you're like, I accidentally crushed a bunch of kids. <laughs> I crushed them emotionally there. And then you know. I, for the last 15 years, I've read wow. the, you know, impassioned, uh, you know, words of all these fans the the first movie arnold saves the neighborhood helga tells it we were like we'd made a hundred half hours of hey arnold and it yeah. was like come on what would the story be of course helga tells arnold that she loves him yeah and we'll make it as dramatic as possible it's uh, the stakes are huge and they're trying to save the neighborhood and there's a ticking clock and then in the morning the bulldozers <laughs> are going to knock down the neighborhood but she's up on the roof in the storm going i love you i love you i've loved you my whole life ever since i first laid eyes on your stupid football uh, you know so that was that scene we'd five years we've been waiting to write that scene and so the jungle movie was intended even then and now was intended to be a chance for arnold to tell helga how he feels and so we pick up the story where we left off, and that is what I promise will all happen in the Jungle movie, you, you which right, comes out next fall. I can't wait. Even <laughs> as a fan, as you're speaking, I almost want to jump up and be like, but don't, don't, tell, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. I'll wait until it comes out. Don't tell me. But I want to know, but I don't want to know. Absolutely. It's right there. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and everyone's just going to have to have that. All I can say is that instant gratification, not good. You need, yes. for true yeah. gratification, you need to wait. A map. It must be the route my parents took on their last trip to the jungle. Grandma! Grandpa! You have to see this! I found a map! If you could give advice to young people possibly going into animation or finding a way to tell their own stories, what advice would you give those young people? Everybody has some kind of story to tell. That I would say, make it, make it real, make it as much like your own personal story, and that will be what makes it universal. You know, that mentor of mine up in Washington State when I was a kid who said, what do you have to say, dude? What's your, what, what's your story? If you're telling your story and it's full of detail about your own stupid life, it becomes universal because people go, I recognize that. That's the way I felt, too. Deep down inside, we're all, you know, just these sort of striving humans who just want love. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, as we make our way through this veil of tears. And I, I think it's just, you, you know, people trying to be good to each other and, and struggling to, to find a way to, you know, for their life to have meaning. I also would say TV making, if you're going to get into this medium, if you're yeah. going to make comics or something or paint a painting, that's cool. You're on your own. You get, to, <laughs> you get to do it and put it out there and maybe people will see it. Maybe they won't. If you're going to make TV like we're doing, it's collaborative. It's a super collaborative medium. There's like 50 people or 100 people or 200 people that are going to all have to get together and make this. So you got to learn how to get along. You have to actually have a little bit of charm, a little bit of kindness. you gotta, <laughs> you got to work with people. And there are the top like 1% of the artists in this business who are so talented they don't even have to get along. They can just be jerks. And people still need what they do. But the rest of us, including me, are not that talented. And we have to, you have to have a little, you know, you have to kind of schmooze it and do a little charm. Yeah. So I would say, you know, work on that too. As you, as you try to come and get your first job and you do those interviews and stuff and you, you learn into pitch, learn to, learn to kind of schmooze it up. Be nice. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, Craig. I feel like guys and girls who grew up with Hey Arnold 
definitely felt like uh, a little charm and a little kindness goes a long way. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Craig. This has been awesome. Thanks awesome. so much. Thank man. you. I had a blast. Great. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed my conversation with Craig Bartlett as much as I did. You're not going to want to miss an upcoming episode of the podcast, so subscribe to us on all of your various platforms, wherever you get your podcast, and you can maybe leave a review if you want. Please, 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 guys, visit nickanimationpodcast.com for more episodes and tons of bonus content like behind-the-scenes material from the upcoming Hey Arnold movie. Are you kidding me? Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together, this podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana vasquez Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians. Greg Nix. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Grolva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.